you already work in a shop, just don't take any shit. Just ask questions. Don't feel bad for asking questions. Um, get your hands on what you can. Um, and don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't be learning more about your job. Hey, what's up? This is Kat. Welcome to the Joyride. Hey, what's up, Joyriders? This is Kat, and you're listening to episode number 18 of the Joyride, a podcast celebrating women on bikes. This week, we're going to chat with bike mechanic Tara Escadero about crowdfunding bike school, the joys of finding community, and tubeless tire evangelism. And just to be clear, no, Stans is not a sponsor. They didn't pay anybody for anything. Tara is just super enthusiastic. Though I guess they do pay Tara, but the point is, is it's not an organized thing. Anyway, um, so it is January 3rd as I record this, and uh, this is the time of year when people like to get a fresh start. You know, the calendar flips over and you and you're you got the whole world at your fingertips yet again you got the freshest 365 days possible and after 2016 well i guess a lot of people could really use a fresh turn of the calendar um me my 2016 was actually personally pretty great um hello we have launched the joyride super duper excited about that also i personally got married uh big ups to my wife (laughs) super excited about being legally married um and also this was my first year that i was bike commuting this is actually kind of a big deal for me um Back in the day when I used to live in New Jersey, I tried so hard to bike commute. Um, There's a really crazy stretch of road between myself and my job. And I had built in some like multimodal, so I was using the bus, but it was very, it was ridiculous. Um, I don't know if I have any blog posts from that point in time, but it was like really crazy. But now I got this job and I'm bike commuting every day, pretty much since mid-May. I have ridden my bike about 16 to 17 miles a day. Now this is give or take, um, obviously that time that I got married and and some other vacation time, um, but pretty consistently 16 to 17 miles a day. Since then, I rode... 2300 miles according to map my fitness um you know that's a lot of miles for me that is far more than i rode the year before that and um it's really funny to kind of look at 300 mile months sort of consistently like that and and i know if you you know if you're a big rider this might not seem like a lot of like big numbers to you um but for a lot of us out there 2300 miles in a year is a lot 2300 miles in 6 months is a lot um 300 miles a month is a lot you know perspective is everything But one of the cool things that I've really enjoyed about bike commuting has been really getting to know my neighborhoods. Um, I really love how sometimes 
Portland smells like sweet potatoes in the morning. I think it's whatever they're cooking up at Widmer Brewery. Um, sometimes it smells like cinnamon toast or clean laundry. I also like seeing how the neighborhoods fluctuate. Um, there was some construction on my bike commute, like on my regular route this summer, and it was just so interesting to see that happen in waves and to see the people who were out there actually working that construction. You know, in a car, they would be inconveniencing me, perhaps, and on the bike at times, they it is inconveniencing, but ultimately I could look over and see their faces and um, I kind of just understood the work that they were doing there was beneficial for everybody. It was pretty cool. I saw the slow progress of a mural, um, saw countless, countless parents bringing their kids um, to and from school on in all kinds of cargo bike and extra cycle contraptions. I remember this one time um, I was just getting home to my neighborhood and my ride's about like 45-ish minutes depending on which direction and time of day and etc. Um, but I was just getting to that last, you know, tenth of a mile to my house and there was a woman that was riding a bicycle in front of me. Um, she did not look like she was in commuter gear. She looked like you know, it was a more of an upright kind of a townie bike. And she tried to pull over for me and because, I guess, because she wanted to let me go. You know, she was being very polite and she tried to pull over for me. But what she didn't realize was that she was kind of like slowly just obstructing where I was making a right-hand turn. Um, and it was totally cool. But, you know, I kind of had to tell her that. And, um, you know, it, it, she said she said something like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't ride how other people ride. And, and it just made me, um, it was something like that. And it made me think to myself, like, and I said this to her, I said, we ride how we ride. Um, we just all do our thing. Um, and sometimes I need to remember that grace too, because when people fly up the hill uh, past me on interstate or when people like fly by and they don't announce it, it kind of makes me just a little crazy. But really that's my own thing. And I'm just trying to have more grace and compassion um, because I don't know what's going on in the lives of the people around me. And um, yeah, <laughs> I really love it. If you like ring your bell or you say on your left, I think it's just polite, <laughs> but um you know, I have to accept that people don't always do that. And heck, sometimes I don't do that. And, you know, that's just, and I feel so strongly about it. So that's how that one goes, I guess. Um, but I do think it's nice. I love, like, uh, connecting with people and having, like, these little shared moments that you get when you're on the bike and you're commuting through your neighborhood. Um, I really have enjoyed seeing everything change with the seasons and um, really, really looking forward to, say, the warmer seasons because it is January and it is cold out. By the way, um, something I'm loving on the bike is that um, Santa Claus, also known as my wife, got me those really awesome lobster claw gloves 
that I have been swooning over and they keep my hands really super warm. And I like that my pinky finger and my ring finger get to be friends in these gloves because it makes a whole world of difference for the both of them. They get to be like, like little, little warm little soldiers. Um, so I'm going to link up the actual product because these are kind of cool the way that they're split finger, um, the index and middle finger are split. So I'm going to link it up. But I do strongly encourage you to shop at your local bike shop. Um, the link that is going to be in the show notes is an Amazon affiliate link. Um, but shopping with your dollars at places where real people work, not like real people don't work at Amazon, but you know what I mean? It's like a warehouse someplace. Whereas you are building relationships in your community, keeping dollars in your community. So, um, the link is for informational purposes, but please do get your gear, especially like your extra gear things. Get those things at your bike shop if you can. My wife got these awesome lobster claw gloves at our local bike shop at my request, even though she could have taken the easy route and gone with Amazon. But good job. Yay. Friends, I sure would love to hear from you. Do you have a wintry bike commute? Do you ride your bicycle in cold temperatures because you um, have to or because you are at this point just a glutton for punishment or because you want to or because you found the secret sauce and you're not freezing your little buns off? Um, anyway, if you have a, if you are a wintry bike rider, I would sure love to hear from you. I mean, heck, I'd love to hear from you no matter what, but, um, I would love it if you would take a photo or tag me up in a photo of your wintry bike commute, tag up the show at the Joyride Podcast on your favorite Instagram wintry bike commute photos. Definitely follow the show on Instagram at the Joyride Podcast and hit me up there. It is the place I like to hang out the most. I love to see all your awesome bike pictures. Go ahead and follow our guest today, Tara Escudero. Follow her on Instagram at FemWrench. You can also go ahead to the show notes. The link will be there as well. The show notes will be at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride018. I sure do hate resolutions, but I sure would like to have a new website up pretty soon. So there's that. All right, let's hear a little bit about our guest. Tara grew up on and around bikes, encouraged by her father, who was a racer. She's a graduate of the United Bicycle Institute, also known as UBI, and she has worked as a mechanic in Houston and in Elmira, New York, where she currently lives. She works for Stan's No Tubes, and she is passionate about fixing bikes, and she's amazed by the mechanical ability of bikes and wheel sets, and works to empower others through cycling. She commutes to work with No Tubes, of course. Let's get into it. Tara Escudero, welcome to the Joyride. Thanks. Yay! Thanks, I'm Ted. so I'm so glad that you're here because you are a mechanic, and mm-hmm. I am not a mechanic. And um, 
that I'm very impressed by anybody who's got mechanical skills. And so I'm just going to sit here and be in awe of you at this point. <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> so where in the world are you? I'm in Elmira, New York, uh, which is near Binghamton, New York. It's the biggest city near nearby, but it's like five hours from New York City. Um, I work at Stan's No Tubes, which is like the next town over from Elmira, and it's called Big Flats, which I think is pretty funny. Um, it's actually kind of it is actually kind of oddly ironic. I it? know, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've been here since April. Before that, I was living in Houston for six years, so. Uh, a little bit of a change. <laughs> yeah, upstate New York uh, versus Houston. There's pretty much an entire world of difference there. Yep. I'm from New York. I'm from Long Island, so I'm used to New York. But uh, it's still after living in the South for that many years, it's it's crazy. There, there's like a few feet of snow on the ground right now. And yeah, it's just, it's different. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, and even upstate, I, I guess, with where you're at there, that lake effect snow can get kind of crazy. Yep, yep. Yeah. I don't mind it, though. <laughs> so do you get to ride at this time of year? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a choice. Um, this is the first time I've ever had access to a car um, as an adult, or ever, I guess. Um, in Houston, we didn't have a car, um, so that I strictly was on bike. Here, um my brother moved to Korea recently, so he's like, here, um, buy my car. And we were like, uh, okay. Um, so I live 10 miles from work. Um, I c- try to commute most of the time. Um, but, yeah, I, I still haven't felt out the snow thing yet. I have never done snow biking. So I know that I n- theoretically know how to do it. But uh, the route, I don't know. I still got to figure that all out. Uh, still pretty new to it, even the job. So, um but yeah, I, I commute when I can and uh, just kind of ride in general. Um, at the, this past summer, I worked at a shop and rode to there, and then we did rides every week um, just kind of for families, and we'd go get ice cream and stuff like that. So just trying to do more of that. In Houston, there was so much of that, um, different group rides every day. I'd have a mo- women's ride, um, mostly people of color ride, um, just all kinds of social rides and training rides and all kind, like it, the bike culture there is just wonderful. Um, it's yeah, I just didn't expect it. It was the biggest critical mass I've ever been to. It was like over two thousand people. Um, my favorite ride was every full moon. We'd ride at midnight. So there was so much going on there. Um, so moving here is a smaller city, and I still still don't know too many people. So still trying to feel my way around and figure out who's doing what and how to plug into it or, or start some stuff. So. So did you yeah. move from Houston for the stands gig? No, actually, um, uh, my husband got a job because we wanted to move back to the Northeast eventually. So he got a job here, and then I got a job as a mechanic for the summer. And then I got laid off because there's only one bike shop here. I was one of the only employees, so there's just not too much of a need, especially in the winter. And then uh, the the guy on the shop I worked at was like, hey, um, you should stands is really close by. You should apply there. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. So I did, and it worked out. So it's pretty crazy just, like, after using their product in shops and seeing it everywhere, just working there now. <laughs> so. It's so weird how that happens. Yeah. I had, like, a whole <laughs> stands conversation with someone a few episodes back because I was because we were talking about flats, and 
Um, sure. I'm not going to get into, I'm going to, cause I will really like get into the weeds on that. It would help like you trying to get you to explain it to me. And I'm not going to, not going to make listeners uh, deal with that quite yet because. Oh, like, I don't, I don't mind. I mean, it's every, get, everyone has questions about it. You know, I get stuck on like, on like tubeless tires and clipless pedals. And I'm just like, I don't know if anybody wants to be subjected to my mental processes on this anymore. So, <laughs> um, so what do you, what do you do at stands? I am the warranty person. Um, so when someone has an issue with products or just technical issues of how to use the product, um, they call or email and I talk to them and help them figure out how to set their tires up tubeless or how to service their hub or, or if their hub failed for some reason, why did it and what parts do we need to send them or do I need to rebuild their wheel? Um, so I just answer the, t- the tech line and then I do warranty and do some sales just because I'm just answering phones and uh, just kind of sometimes rebuilding hubs and um, working with, there's a wheel department there. Um, so working closely with them. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool. Cause you know, I love wheels and learning more specifically because as a mechanic, you have to know a little bit of everything. So I never really dialed down of, um, you know, just what different kinds of free hub technology are out there. Um, and what's the difference between them and, and why hubs are, why there's so many different axle standard designs and, and hub designs, why that keeps changing, um, what kind of issues people have with it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I'm learning more and just kind of focusing more, which is, is different. Um, and, and kind of interacting with customers and there's definitely an element of, um, I think people are just not used to hearing a woman answer the, the tech line. Um, so I think that, you know, it's just good being out there as someone who's doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty laid back, pretty fun. Everyone there likes what they do. And, um, yeah, I, I really like it so far. So that's yeah. really interesting observation about folks not here, not um, being used to hearing a woman answer the tech line. I've spent way many more years in customer service than I care to admit, and it's always been like uh, predominantly women in call centers. And so it's just interesting to hear that um, juxtaposition in this in this particular instance when we're talking about tech. Yeah, well, in the bike industry, you know, it's right. uh, it's like three percent women uh, mechanics, and and as far as you know, larger companies that have to answer calls like that and and develop product, um, I'm there's other women out there. Like the main engineer of all cities, a woman, um, and there, I'm sure there's others, but that was just someone I was looking into the other day. But um, yeah, it's just like the emails I get sometimes. It's not you know, it's like to tech at no tube, so it'll be like, dear sirs what is the answer to this question? Or, you know, I answer the phone and they're like, oh, can, I just need, I have a technical question. And I'm like, yep. You know, like, what mm. is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> you got but, me. you know, it's the same thing, even when working at shops, you know, you walk, you know, like customers will walk in and I'll be behind the service counter working on a bike and they ask me if there's a mechanic available and I just kind of look around over my shoulders and I'm like, yep, I'm the only one here right now. So, <laughs> or, oh you know, I've, it's happened where someone's called, like I'll answer the bike shop phone. And then I actually had someone call back the shop after I helped them one time to see if I actually worked there. <laughs> so, you wow. know, that stuff happens. It happens all the time. And, you know, like anything, it could be worse, but it's definitely not awesome. So, but the people I work with are cool and they don't give me that. It's just, you know, mostly, 
business customers, everyone, everyone calling from all over the world. Actually, I get calls from other countries and all over the, the country. So, you know, it's bound to happen with that. You communicate with that many people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I really enjoy it. I like interacting with people and helping them. So did you, did that like throw you off at all? Not really. I mean, I've always always experienced it, so it's just something you don't. I'm not surprised by anymore. It's part of the part of the deal. Yeah. So, how'd you get into wrenching? Um, my I just always been around bikes. My dad raced um, when I was young. He just did like on Long Island. He did amateur racing and was uh, you know a roadie, really into steel and like the 1990s Tour de France. And he's from Chile, so he's very like he's kind of like a Europhile. Um, just like because South, some South American European culture kind of crossover, and so he's always been really into bikes. And then I got really into bikes just commuting, and I went on a tour. Um, I did this um, program right after college that called Climate Summer, um, that focused on moving away from fossil fuels um, and basically using bikes as a way to. It was a leadership development program, so I rode my bike around New England with um, four other women in this group and we just went from town to town and stayed there for a week or two and like um did volunteer work and media work and research and just building relationships with people who are doing different things to move away from fossil fuels um build self-sufficient communities whether it's cycling food um local policy um resisting fossil fuel infrastructure stuff like that so that's what i'm really passionate about is just social change in general so being able to connect that with bikes was really exciting and then uh, my first job, uh, they hired me after that to run a Gulf Coast version of that program. So have people bike across Louisiana and Texas, um, visiting communities and kind of focusing on them and how, especially in, in the Gulf South, how communities are just so detrimentally impacted by fossil fuel infrastructure. And at the same time, how there's so many people resisting that and building um, communities in the face of that through, you know, resisting that infrastructure and cycling and, and food and, and all, all this other stuff. So I did that and it was really awesome, but, um, there's just some things about working for a nonprofit. Um, it was really small and I just didn't, I just didn't feel like I was doing the best job I could do. And I didn't feel like, um, I was ever going to get the real support and training I needed just because of the nonprofit lacked the resources. So I stepped away from that. Um, and then worked actually for the park service, uh, for a season building trail, which was pretty different. Um, not bike trail. Like I was working on a Pacific crest trail, which is hiking. Um, so just a lot of like rock, like masonry and chainsaw work and stuff. And, uh, did that came what, back to Houston. I'm uh, curious when you were on the, when you were working on the PCT, like where, whereabouts were you when you were I was doing in that? the Palisades, um, uh, which is in Kings Canyon. So it's, um, yeah, it's also on the John Muir Trail. The John Muir Trail is part of the Pacific Crest Trail. So going to the wilderness, I thought that I wouldn't see that many people, but they, a lot of people hiked that trail. So I ended up seeing a lot of people in the wilderness. But uh, it was a really great experience after kind of just needing to recuperate from being kind of burned out from the work I was doing. And then right when I got back, the day I got back to Houston, my friend, you know, my bike shop was down the street from me and my friend worked there and he rode by. He's like, oh, you're back. He's like, hey, do you want to work at the shop? And I was like, yep, I, I definitely need a job. So uh, sounds good. <laughs> and I started working there um, just mostly on the sales floor. And I just kept going back to the shop and kind of annoying everyone and just tinkering because it's always, you know, I was for my own bike, I would, you know, I could 
change my own flats, change my pedals, like pretty basic stuff. Um, but I just was there and I was like, I want to know how to do this. I'm here. I know about bikes, like theoretically, but I just kept getting my hands more and more on it. The, and you know, it's, it's hard cause it was a very pretty high volume shop. Um, had a lot of people coming in and out. There wasn't a real focus. So there's, you know, roadies, hybrids, mountain, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, so there, the capacity of the mechanics and folks there to, to really teach me was limited, but they were pretty supportive. And after a few months of working there, I was like, I need, I need more. So I, um, started a, uh, crowdfunding to go to United Bicycle Institute. I did my research that seemed like the school I wanted to go to. It just seemed real holistic and like, I don't know, that just seemed like the personalities of the people who worked there really came across in the media that they had. And I was always interested in going to Portland because of the bike culture and the bike shops there. Um, so I raised a few thousand dollars from because people were just really supportive and awesome. And uh, I went there and spent the month of June there almost two years ago now. Um, and took the mechanic, like the pro shop and mechanic class, and then a wheel building and shock suspension or suspension service class. And um, it was amazing. I mean, the school was amazing. Um, the, I, the shop I was working at the time was a Brompton dealer. So the North American rep for Brompton lives in Portland, and he's a really nice guy. Uh, his name's Ed. And um, he let me borrow a Brompton for the month, so I was just cruising around in Brompton going to bike school, visiting bike shops. It was during Pedal Palooza, so just doing all these bike rides. And oh, I was cool. just like, I was just in heaven. It was it was amazing. I learned so much. And the thing, you know, there's a lot of people in the industry, or there's, I don't know, a lot, but, you know, there's some people in the industry who are like, you know, these schools are kind of crap. Um, how can you learn that much in two weeks or three weeks? Um, and they're right in a way. I mean, they're kind of, that's kind of asinine, but you learn how to learn everything. You learn the foundations for how to continue to learn everything. You kind of do everything once. Like you learn how to overhaul bike, learn how to build a wheel, learn how to service shocks, learn how to do everything. And you learn the theory behind it and you have, they give you all the materials to take home with you to always be able to reference that. And they're like, we have an open door policy. Call us anytime if you have questions. And that was something I definitely did. I was building a wheel. I'd call them for their opinion on something or you know, I had like a internal hub and I didn't remember how to, um, you know, the orientation for Shimano. They have color coded like dots you line up, just like specific stuff like that. I, I was able to call them and talk to them or obviously, you know, ask people I was working with. Um, but when I got back, I hit the ground running and um, it was just great. I just felt like I, I developed so much and by, you know, by I ended up kind of coordinating the shop area by the time I left the shop just because small shops and you know that's a whole other conversation we can have a long conversation about just the state of independently owned bike shops in the industry but there was some um stuff going on and, and a few people left and then i was like the person running the shop area even though i didn't have the most experience um they hired another mechanic thank goodness who had more experience than i did and he was really great to work with um but i was the one you know kind of making sure all the work got done and people would always check over over my work and I would check over other people's work. And it was just a, a pretty good work environment for that. Um, another thing, you know, another kind of allusion to how the industry has problems is just, I was just working way too much. I was working overtime a lot and, uh, it was a high volume shop and just kind of, so when, you know, when it came up that I, we could move to New York and you got this job, um, I just said, okay, you know, I, I think it's time for me to go. Cause I was just, 
I think I was ready. And I wanted I wanted to keep working in a shop, and I was lucky enough to um, be able to connect with one and, and apply and, and get in right away. But I was I was a little afraid there. I wasn't gonna, you know, because it's it's you know it's like any skill set. I wanted to keep doing it. So um, I'm fortunate enough that I'm still in the industry and uh, have people support me and and just kind of was luck I think. So, uh, but yeah, it's been it's been so much fun working in the bike industry. It's been pretty eye opening. Um, coming from not working in an industry, really, like the nonprofit world, and then going there um, was pretty different, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really, um, I think it's super cool and really important to recognize that, like, yeah, there's, there's luck involved, you know, there's circumstance and um, all kinds of events that sort of, like, coalesce into, into whatever path we're on. But you definitely like crowdfunded going to bike school, so um, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. Like, yeah, luck, but also you were determined. You had a vision, um, and you made some set some goals, and then you know made actually like did the work. So yeah, I think it's important that we um, that we recognize that, and I wanted to make sure that I recognized you for that too. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> June is a fantastic time to visit Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah, it was like, you know, every day was sunny and blue skies, which yeah. is not what I heard about Portland. So I No, it happens for like two months a year. Um, and then the rest of the, the, the other 10 months are not like that. So though I'm, I'm being a little, I'm being a little short there, but yeah, uh, June's, <laughs> June's a, a fantastic time to visit because of the Petalpalooza. What rides, what rides did you go on that like stand out to you? Cause there's so many fun things that people do, um, around Petalpalooza. Sure. Do you remember any of the rides that you did? It was the one, it was called like bikeways or greenways or something where they take a, like a quadrant of the city and make a big bike route. And oh, like yeah. there's parkways. hundreds of people, parkways. Sunday um, parkways. Yeah. Yeah. I did one of those. That was great. Um, I did that with Ed from Brompton. It was just like a fantastic time. And, uh, I did the world naked bike ride, which was Yay. pretty Ooh. fun. Um, and they have it in Houston, but it's, of course, it's not nearly as big. They're just not as much about being naked there, I guess. But, and then, um, I, d I did a few other rides. I honestly don't remember. I remember also seeing some unicycle group. I went and tried that and failed miserably. Um, and then I just visited shops. Like I visited the, <sighs> I forget what street it was on, but it was the commuter focus shop. So they had the Boxiettes and the Bromptons and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was like commuter focused um that was really awesome i went to velo cult and it was just like oh my god it's just disgustingly cute and i love it um velo cult is like is like a pilgrimage point i think here in this town. yeah yep and uh i went to sugar wheels uh really awesome uh i think her name's jude and she was really awesome and um i went to definitely went to other ones um the, the, I think it was called the CCC, like the Cycling Community Center. Yeah, Community like Cycling that. Center on Alberta. Yeah, That's that was cool. awesome. Um, I was staying, I wish I remember part of the city was staying with, because I used warm showers for some of the places, um, which is pretty awesome, because I've hosted people through warm showers and couch surfing. So just to keep my budget lower, I was like, hey, I'm a cyclist going to bike school. I know I'm not actually on tour, but if I could stay with you, that'd be awesome. So I met other cool people who rode bikes and um 
yeah, it was, it was just, you know, it was just something to aspire to. Um, and it gave me a lot of perspective, like seeing all these shops that seem so awesome. And then coming back to my shop and it's just what I'm used to, you know? So I was like, ah, like we can be better in this way and this way. But it was also just completely different city. Like you have to, I don't know, adhere to the culture of your city in a certain way or, or cater to that. So it gave me a lot of perspective. And then the moving here to a much smaller city, working in a smaller bike shop, like for the first time you know, using handwritten tickets. I mean, I know for people who've been in the industry a long time, that's all they've done, but I came in to a shop that focused on high-end stuff, had wanted everything, you know, kind of in the cloud, like just that. And then, so working in different, a, lot, a few different shops has been really good for me. And then working in different parts of the industry has been good for me as well. So, yeah, I was just, and then all, all one time I, um, I visited Minneapolis and I went to perennial cycles there. Um, which I just think if I were to be part of a shop again, it would, I would want to be part of a shop like that. It's one of the premier commuter shops in the country. And they used to be called Calhoun cycles, but they changed their name because of the legacy of Calhoun as being a huge proponent of slavery. And they have like a black lives matter sign in the window. And they just, they just seem so the product, the people, the philosophy there, I was like blown away. Um, so just, I, every time I go somewhere, I just find out where the bike shop is and go there and, and geek out. So it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a cool way to get to know a town for sure. Yeah. So when I think about, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in terms of some of the things that I think made, makes riding a bike, not riding a bike per se, but makes like approaching that whole thing intimidating is that. There are so many different variations. There's so many different, you know, uh, frame styles and different types of components. And, you know, this type of shifter works this way. And I think that there's something about that. I mean, it's one of the most fascinating things about the bike in general is because there's always something to discover. But I think that that is also maybe part of the thing that is intimidating and makes it unapproachable. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think I, I want to hear what your thoughts are about that. Sure. I mean, definitely work, working a shop, Every almost every person who comes in, they're like, hey, so don't judge me. It's like one of the first things they say in, in so many words. They're like, hey, so I'm new to this or I don't really know. And I'm like, don't worry about not knowing something you don't know yet. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. Um, so just – and. I think one of the main examples of that and comes up in my mind is I rode with this group in Houston called Toxic Shocks. Um, there's some, there's someone you should definitely look into. I can connect you with them for, for one of your things, but, um, it's all women. Um, and we just ride every Monday night and, you know, we can ride, we can either do a little faster ride or we'll just ride to bars or if the weather's really bad, we'll just meet up and eat food together. But most of the time we ride and, um, we just get people to show up and whatever kind of bike you have, whatever we will go as fast as the slowest person there. And it doesn't even matter. It's just getting us together. And then as the group's been together for a few years and just kind of like informally coalesced and communicate mostly over Facebook. Um, and as the group has developed, there's been like, all right, let's have a faster ride on this day. Or someone will just post on a random day, hey, who wants to ride? Or who wants to volunteer and fundraise for this event? Or this or this. And it just grew from there. And I think that culture of just don't even worry about it. Just get on a bike. If it feels right, keep doing it. Or if it doesn't feel right, let's help you figure out 
like what you need, like what needs to change. And there's this other thing in Houston called Tour de Hood, um, which is even like is crazy. It's one of the one of my favorite rides I would do every Wednesday. Again, and it was as fast as the slowest rider, families and children, whoever would show up um, that week. And they provided bikes and helmets. So they had these storage containers just filled with bikes. They fixed up helmets, lights, and they were like, if you don't have a bike, that's not an excuse. Just show up. We're going to do this. Um, so I think the more we can foster that culture within the cycling community, it's going to be better for people who own shops. It's going to be better for people who want to ride. For, and I think it's a good, I don't know, it's just a good way to conduct yourself as a person who lives through bikes um, to do everything you can to make people feel like it's something they want to learn about, not something they should already know about. Um, yeah. So. I yeah. think that's, that sounds like really key. Um, yeah, it's not some, I, lo- I love that. I love that last, that last sentence. It's not something that you should already know about. It's just something that you want to learn about. Yeah. Uh, curious about the tour to hood thing though. So if they had, uh, storage containers did these rides always take off from the same point or were those yep yep okay. we would meet at this place called the compound and um this this man uh runs it dr v vion mcreynolds and this he's just like one of those people who just radiates he he'll ride his bike across houston like which is like i don't know 20 miles or yeah, something like that no fault, small feet. He'll ride with a bike trailer with his other bike in it to the velodrome, do six races, ride back. Like he's just unstoppable. He'll ride. He'll be like, okay, be right back. I'm going to ride to Ohio and then ride back. He's just like unbelievable. So he runs this thing. He's just kind of accumulated all these bikes through donations and work and stuff. And they've had a, uh, the third ward bike shop kind of operates out of there too. And they're kind of in flux as any community bike shop is trying to figure out, um, their capacity and what they can do, but they have all these bikes and helmets and lights and they just get people to show up and he, on the ride, he'll have this trailer filled with snacks. Um, he's really focused on the health aspect of getting people on bikes. He'll have like, you know, fruits and other stuff like that and peanut butter and we'll just stop at a grocery store so people can get stuff they want, go to the bathroom and then we'll just eat in the parking lot and then we'll just keep going. And it's, it's like just such a wonderful time. And it's just for, especially Houston, such a big city as Houston, I got to see way more of it than I thought I would because of riding a bike. Um, you get to look at everything more closely. And, um, you know, a lot of people, if Houston is a city, people don't think of it as good for biking. I thought it was great. I mean, the infrastructure, stuff like that has a lot to be uh, worked on. But just as, as a place to interact with uh, on a surface level through a bike, I just thought it was a wonderful place for that. So. Mm. Yeah, um, I just I know that I know there's a lot of other um, programs out there like that, like Blackstone Bicycle Works in Chicago, um, Go Bike in Buffalo, or not Go Bike, that's Portland. Um, there's another one in Buffalo that's really awesome. Um, but there's there's stuff like that all over, and I think that's like the work I really uh, that just really inspires me, and I just want to do more stuff like that and try, kind of find that that niche here. So, yeah. How do you feel about your safety on the road? And when I say this, I'm going to, I'm going to actually like take this in a couple different parts, which is personal safety. Um, and also traffic safety. And then tell me what you've noticed with being with like being in different locations 
and sure. writing in different towns? Well, my philosophy is if I get hit uh, by a car on my bike, um, there's not much I can do about that. Like, like I feel like there, you know, people use mirrors, always looking over their shoulder, and it's like I ride very carefully. I look before I turn. I, you know, I I adhere to the rules of the road that that protect me, but I don't obey the rules of the road that actually make it less safe for me. Like I'm going to yield instead of stop, and and go at a stop sign if I want to put more distance between myself and the car to be more visible, you know, stuff like that. Um, but you know, if I'm in the, taking the lane, I'm in a lane riding and someone hits me, there's nothing I can do about that. It was either deliberate or just gross negligence. And I'm not going to let that stop me from riding when it's one of the most important things to me. And I know that takes a lot for some people to arrive at that point, if ever, and I respect if people, that's just something people don't want to do. And I think because of that's how I feel, I forget that a lot when we're having conversations about bikeable, livable cities, about parents and kids who want to ride to school and are not going to want to ride in the street. They want bike infrastructure. Um, and I think bike infrastructure is really important, but I, I kind of forget that because it's just, you know, I've no my, you know, so many people close to me have been hit and or grievously injured or killed. Um, and um, thank goodness, not myself, um, I'm knocking on wood, but, um, it's just like, it's statistically proven. Um, I think Ellie blue, this is in one of her zines that getting on your bike and riding and having more people on bikes makes the street safer for people on bikes, even before any other changes you make in infrastructure or anything, just having more people out there makes a difference. So I know when I am out there that it's, that it's the right thing to do for Mm -hmm. me. So, yeah, and like I was saying, like, I, and as a woman, it's, it's sometimes just, you know, even if I was walking or taking public transit, you experience some of the same things of just, like, street harassment, um, and that plays out, and sometimes that plays out differently as a cyclist, like, you know, pedestrians don't really usually experience cars swerving towards them because they're on a sidewalk, but that happens, um, just stuff like that, and it's just some, it's just something that, I deal with and I do my best to talk to people about in the cycling community outside the cycling community about why like why cyclists deserve to live <laughs> um deserve safety and why they, it's actually more than okay that they're there and I don't know I mean it, it's it's a conversation you can have with everyone and then the city policy like when we were in when I was in Houston I worked on the the um pass, safe passing ordinance we got that passed in the city because the state of Texas is just the state of Texas and the no texting and safe passing ordinances made it to the governor. Uh, I think it was Perry at the time. And he just said, Nope, even though everyone else passed them. So the city of Houston was like, fine, we're going to have a safe passing ordinance. And, uh, we got that. So that's good. But you know, it's, it's only ordinance. It's the work to kind of connect that, that the education with that and the culture with that law and make that actually mean something, um, is another thing. But yeah, I think, you know, safety is a huge issue for getting more people on bikes, getting women on bikes, because um, we're socialized to not be as confident. We're told that when things happen to us, it's our fault a lot of time, and it's just not true. Um, so on, on learning that in that aspect of our lives and every other aspect of our lives is really important. So, yeah. How have you noticed that, um, or have you, I guess, is the question, have you noticed a difference in the, your perception of your safety from your time in Houston versus how long you've been in 
upstate New York? Um, I feel like after biking in Houston, I can bike anywhere. <laughs> uh, it's like, I just feel like I, I don't know. I feel like it was kind of the lion's den in some ways. Like in some ways it's really awesome and great to bike there. And in some ways people just hated cyclists with a passion I'd never seen anywhere else. And like the most, the most common vehicle there is a Ford F-150. So it was just, there's just some crazy aspects to biking there. So here it's a smaller city. I think people are just kind of confused when they see me a lot of times. So they give me a lot of birth. They're just like, wow, huh? And that's not to say there aren't people out on bikes. I would say most of the people I see here on bikes are on big box store bikes, just getting to work or getting to the store or doing whatever. And a lot, sometimes they're on the sidewalk.